0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me. you, Kramer. Sure, you can't always get what you want, but you know what? Sometimes you get what you need. Sometimes things are, are, are getting really good in our economy, even as we don't seem to realize it. And that's how you get a daily today, with the Dow vaulted 408 ah. points, SB gained 0.9%, and the Nasdaq advanced 0.61%. Yet we're so busy being negative, including that surprise plumber we had Friday to finish a really sorry week, that we just can't see the positives that are around us which is why rallies like this one take Wall Street by surprise. So maybe it's time tonight for a little refresher course on what we actually want to see from the economy, because the pervasive negativity just does not jive with the facts. Yes, we have what we want for stocks to go higher. We have what we need, but people seem to not realize it. So first, if you are a bull, there is an historic, unassailable goal for higher stock prices. We want growth with little inflation. That's the ideal kind of economy for the stock market to thrive. And guess what? Well, we're there. Let's think of what happened Friday. First, we got this terrific employment report. We created 187,000 jobs, which is decent, but it's not explosive. We didn't want explosive, explosive, because unemployment's already at 3.5%. Now we have become so conditioned to believe that low unemployment's bad news for the market that we actually went down on Friday off of an ideal set of numbers. That's just crazy town, people. Crazy town. This is exactly the kind of Goldilocks number we've been waiting for. More modest job growth with much less inflation. That's what causes our market to go higher. Nirvana. Now, we want an economy that can grow without having endemic inflation. That's increasingly what we have. So how the heck is that a reason to sell? I think today's action shows that people are rethinking last week's pretty dire negativity because they're beginning to recognize that just because unemployment is below, say, 4%, that doesn't mean it's a terrible time to invest, for heaven's sake. It, historically, it's a terrific time to invest. If you've been around like me, you know this is it. This is the kind of buying opportunity that we get at least at the end of Friday when the market literally was in freefall. You know I don't like to pay up for things, but Friday. It was a thing of beauty. I was like picking my tomatoes. I wanted to be doing some buying. Second, typically we want to sell stocks if interest rates are going up. That's just a given, Okay, But this time is actually different. See, we have a gigantic number of investors who bought bonds at really bad prices. They were way too high. And they're going to have to lose money. For ages, I've been saying that longer-term interest rates are just way too low versus the economy because we weren't going to have a recession. You know I've been saying that. That would justify the low rates if we were going to. I've also railed against the soft-landing, hard-landing dichotomy. The Fed's engineering an economy that's not landing at all. Jay Powell wants the economy to cruise in. Good attitude, Good attitude with lots of job opportunities, but without the turbulence of runaway wage inflation. And that is where we head. The Fed has engineered an economy that's starting to glide, not crash or land. Yes, the trajectory is going the feds way so we have to forget that hackney concept of hard versus soft the people who own long but the people who own 20 year paper they are losing their shirts but you know what they should be losing their shirts oh they come on tv and they tell you how the market's wrong no they're wrong see they were betting that the fed and jay would screw up that they would the kind of would crash well it's not going to crash the bet against the fed happened they placed it they lost Now they have to pay the price. The only problem is they tend to get a lot of airtime and they love to complain despite having very little credibility. They always complain that the market's wrong. The market's not wrong. okay? The the stock market was right today. Third, why do we never look around the world and see how other countries are doing? America's in great shape by comparison. Today, we learned, for example, that German industrial production was down 1.5% year over year, even as German wages keep going higher. Well, that's an unholy combination. That's not one of these, OK? Hey, Britain's got rampant wage inflation with a nearly stagnant economy. That's not this. Japan has inflation under control, but they have no growth. That's not this. China... Well, who the hell knows what they got? But it's declining growth and bad inflation as far as I'm concerned. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., we have an accelerating manufacturing growth after years of declines. China's trying to become more of a service economy because there's such a slowdown in manufacturing. But they can't do it. It's an aging country with bad banks galore and a dictatorship with a command economy. It's not obeying the commands. Fourth, we know the Federal Reserve has kept rates very high. I get that. We want that. Because we have a lot of stimulus coming our way. So we need our central bank to make sure the economy doesn't overheat again. I mean, it can slow down. We don't want it to start up again. The higher rates will keep inflation in check as all that infrastructure spending kicks in. More growth, low inflation. We want the Fed to keep doing its job, and it's doing it. Why can't anyone admit it? Fifth, we're beginning to see cracks in some of the areas that I've really been worried about. Cracks in housing. Rents have already peaked. That was according to Zillow. They know more than we do. That's huge. But we just joined. Oh, so rents are going down. You kidding me? I've been waiting for them to go down for three years. Home prices have stopped going higher. I read all the home builder reports. You can't expect them to plummet overnight, though. There's still a big from 2019. But what what do you expect? You mean double-digit declines in housing? No, because we're not building enough homes. But we somehow don't acknowledge that housing's peaked. Same deal with cars. There are sales galore on both new and used vehicles. We refuse to acknowledge that, too. But what do we really want? Lower car prices, lower home prices, lower rents? Unless you're building homes or apartments or cars, you should be incredibly happy here. It's what the Fed wants. It's what you should want. It's what the commentators should want. But they're on the wrong side of the trade. They'll never tell you that. Six. Five months ago, we worried the bank system was going to collapse, or at least many of the regional banks would go under, right? We heard thousands of banks could fail. Only a couple truly failed since that initial cluster of, of failures, although a few others came close. But so what? Close is like, it's like not horseshoes here. There's a big difference between a, a handful and thousands. But we never hear from the people who stoked the pandemic. Hey, remember those guys who said Schwab was going to go under? Where are they? Where are those people? What were they thinking? You know what I think? I think that they. Sell, sell, sell. That's what I think about them. That's them. That's them. <laughs> that's really them. <laughs> okay, you know, it, sometimes people have to admit that they're wrong. I admit that I'm wrong all the time. I mean, like, I got Jane Jay was up three today. I sold the J&J because I was worried about the, uh, the lawsuits. That was wrong. I mean, I feel it would be right, but I admit that I'm wrong. I admit that I'm wrong all the time. All right? These people never admit they're wrong. What kind of self esteem? What? Can they have no self esteem? Is, is that the deal? I'm confused about them. See, it's truly incredible that no one gets called out. The smaller regionals are goodbye still. All right. I'm trying to be so nice You I had a great weekend. I saw the Eagles. Everything's great. But I just deal with all these people. They just I'm not calling them liars. I'm just saying they don't have the confidence to come on and say they got it wrong. They aren't. They, they just don't have the ability to say they're wrong because they're afraid someone's going to take the money away. I don't care. Seventh, I'm sick of hearing about companies that are going to use artificial intelligence to get better at what they do. It's not happening yet, but by this time next year, we're going to start seeing humans replaced with AI. That will create surplus labor, something that would be terrible if we had moderate to high levels of unemployment. But we got 3.5% unemployment. Nobody ever wants to pitch a new technology as a job killer. But we have a labor shortage in this country, so computers replacing people might be exactly what we need. Digitization means saving money, but it also means we got more people to do other jobs. I can go into so many other positives for stocks. I just think the overarching issue here is that we're getting exactly what Wall Street always wanted, growth with declining inflation. And that happened after a terrible week last week. When the rate cuts finally start, which I don't expect to happen or even want until next year. I don't want them. We're going to go from having an inverted yield curve to a normal yield curve. So all the people who sold stocks because of that inverted yield curve might urge you not to listen to will suddenly be eager to buy stocks hand over fist. And you can be a seller then up here. Of course, you can buy stocks when the market's standing rationally. That's what happened last Friday. That's what happened all last week. I'm sure it's going to happen again. But right now, there's a tremendous bias against saying anything good, despite the fact that things are good. We just had a very good earnings season. We did. Where revenue was fine. Earnings were great. What's more can you know? Well, I don't know what more, I don't know what more you can ask for. I don't know. Yet, there is always some survey that shows how terrible things are, or that nothing good is happening at all, or that the center will not hold, or that Apple's awful. Here's the bottom line. Good earnings, good economy, good setup. Time to understand that when the market comes down like it did on Friday, not today because it went and moved up big on Friday, we have to recognize that the economy is better than anyone imagined a few months ago. So look for things to buy on weakness and then pull the darn trigger. Don't worry if you miss today. There's enough negativity around. that I promise you, you will get your chance to buy at better prices. I want to go to Wayne in Georgia. Wayne. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Wayne. What's happening?
1: What's the future of regulated electrical utilities, and specifically Southern Company?
0: Ah, Southern's okay. Someone asked me about that when I was at the Eagles on Friday. I mean, here's the problem. Like, Southern, okay, yields 4.1. We have a company called Enbridge It's on later, ENB. That yields 7%, and it's got the same kind of cash flows. I say you you cashier Southern, and you buy... And but wait, you can hear him later. You can hear him make your make up your own mind. Let's go to Chris in California. Chris. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Chris, what's happening? Thank not much. Thank you very much for taking my call. Of I'm course. A happy Investment Club
1: member. And I yes. appreciate all the work that you and your team do.
0: Jimmy Chill says thank you. And also Jeff Marks, too. What's up? Yep, J- Jeff does a fantastic job. So my is question
1: is on a stock. It, it operates. Seemingly operates more like a mutual fund, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on block, BlackRock. And okay, here's my thought on BlackRock. What the
0: heck is that doing in 712 and not 812? That is one hell of a stock, and Larry Fink is terrific. And I just don't get it. I've been going back and forth with with uh, with, with Jeff about putting it in the bullpen because I think it's so good. Now we would have to get rid of one one or other financials, but boy, that company has great technology too. Uh, my hat is off to Larry. Look at that board of directors. They're like the best board of directors in America. America. That accent. I hate that accent. I can't get rid of the accent by this point. If I can't get rid of it, I can't get rid of it. Lori. There it is again. Lori in Massachusetts. Lori, Lori. Like it's Lori,
1: how are you doing? How are you today? I am good. Great how are to you? speak with you Same. again. <laughs> so my question today is on Moderna. Yeah. I bought Moderna during the pandemic. When there was three um, vaccines to choose from, and I chose Moderna. Apparently, I chose the one of the right ones at the time. Yeah, I bought it at 69.
0: All right. Well, you know, look, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in Stephan Bancel. I know he hasn't delivered what we want. It's got a bad COVID hanger feel. It's got to get that same thing as like Zoom or like the Walgreens or the CBS. It's better than that. Stephen, come back on and tell us about all the great things you're doing. Would that be so hard? Give Stephen a ring. OK, I'm telling the people who like really matter here. And I'm sorry about the accent. I, I, honestly, but boy, I was in Philadelphia. Everybody sounded just like me. It was so cool. All right, anyway, Despite what you might be hearing out there, we do have a good setup for stocks. I had that all those different things. I hope you took a snapshot of it. So if there's some weakness in the market ahead, that's what I want you to pull trigger. I don't like you to buy on up days. But last week was really one hell of a week that was so awful. I can't. I, what a good opportunity. Oh my money tonight, Campbell Soup announced it would acquire Sobos Brands. That's the company behind the. In, the Famous Rayos sauce. I love Rayos, but I can't get a table there, admittedly. But I had some really good friends get me tables over the years, and I'm learning about more about that acquisition, what it means for the snacking kingpin. With the CEO. I got the interview. Then xylem recently completed a $7.5 billion acquisition of Evoqua in a pursuit to become a water power, but nobody seems to care. I'm not going in. I'm getting the latest from the company's top brass. And is this economy robust enough for a stock like Enbridge to survive with a 7% yield? I'm digging this story with the CEO, and I know I like it on paper already, so stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: This morning, we learned that Campbell Soup is buying Sovos Brands. Now, that's the owner of Ra- Rao's Pasta Sauce, that's R-A-O, it's pronounced Rao, for roughly $2.7 billion in a deal that shows executives are no longer taking the merger-hating FTC that seriously. Now, Sovos is a relatively new company. It's one of the few high-quality names that came public in 2021, and we have been one of the few people been recommending it. They've got some truly fantastic brands for pasta sauce. They've got frozen pizza and Noosa yogurt. But Rao's is the ultimate prize here. That stuff is fantastic, and I love the restaurant, too. I have to say this is a tomato sauce competitor because Jim's None Better is pretty good, too. I think this deal makes a ton of sense for Campbell. It gives them a growth engine for investors to get behind, especially at a time when the stock's out of favor on Wall Street fashion shows down 22% for the year, which is crazy. Don't take it from me. Let's take deep with Mark Klaus. He's the president and CEO of Campbell's Soup Company. Learn more about the Sobos deal and what it means and to talk about Rayos. Mr. Mr. Klaus, welcome back to Bad Money,
1: Jim, great to be with you.
0: OK, so Mark, we Googled best pasta sauce brands, okay? We clicked on the first seven articles. All seven articles ranked Rayo's the best. Is that why you own Rayo's now?
1: We are very excited about that fact. It is a tremendous compliment uh, to our business and and a portfolio that that we think this just adds yet another accelerator as part of the transformation that we've been uh, undertaking over the last several years. But it's It's a great pasta sauce.
0: (laughs) And one of the things that I loved about it, you mentioned me earlier, this is real. I mean, why don't you just tell us about your trip to Italy so people know that this is just not another pasta
1: sauce? Uh, I I tell you, Jim, you know, firsthand on the ground in Italy uh, last week, spending time uh, with the partner there and and this just tremendous family operation uh, that is taking these fantastic tomatoes, Uh, coming off the hillsides of Pompeii uh, and turning it into really what I would describe as a truly unique and differentiated sauce. I mean, I can tell you I've spent, you know, years trying to copy it. Now I understand why that's impossible to do. Um, And it's just, it's been prepared in such a way where it brings the technology and the scale, but with that touch of mom's kitchen uh, that you just love to see, and that that is so special and unique in this world, and that's that's why we love it. We're not touching it, right? Anyone that's that's thinking, "Hey, are they going to touch the sauce?" No, we are. Uh 100% excited about what, uh, what we're doing there, and, and I'm uh, thrilled to be uh, able to add that to the family. Right,
0: we're big believers in the premiumization and super brands, just like Pacific. These are brands that are premium. You can charge more because people love them. I was excited, and including Mike Andrews, excited about the runway here for you. I mean, to me, even though I know some people said, oh, we paid too much. To me, this is the beginning of the nationalization of this brand that people don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was really an important part of the thesis of this acquisition was understanding the runway ahead. And look, the Sovos team um, just has done a fantastic job. It's a very talented group, uh, done an amazing job building this business. But when we looked at it, we saw a variety of different paths to follow you know one of the first things i would just say is the team's done a great job building distribution But when you look at the difference between the top five SKUs and the next five SKUs in this portfolio, there's almost a 20 point difference in distribution. So before we even add any other innovation or new items, there is distribution opportunity that we can continue to drive. It's also a business that's at about 14% right now on household penetration. And we know that a, a premium brand benchmark is around 20%. And so our ability to take what is a great foundation at Sovos add what we do really well, which is driving that awareness and building household penetration is another great runway for growth down the road. And then finally, um, as you mentioned, the team has done a very thoughtful um, and, and very methodical approach to the innovation and the categories they've expanded into. So frozen meals, frozen pizza, dry pasta and soup are all categories where they have built differentiated products true to the equity of Reos and they've just got started. So the ability for us to drive this runway forward um, and deliver growth well beyond where we are today is really what got us excited about this. And as we thought about the valuation, it is how we built the model that we feel so good about.
0: Now, is this not the fastest growing group of premium brands in the supermarket?
1: Well, this is to me, uh, in my opinion, this is absolutely the best growth story in food. And when you think about our portfolio now, Jim, and you and I've talked about this, uh, we have arguably, again, maybe a little biased, but arguably the best growth story on stacking that there is right now. What we've been able to do with the combination of our Pepperidge Farm businesses integrated now with our Snyder's Lance uh, portfolio, this is a juggernaut. I mean, it has been um, just driving significant growth and margin expansion now you bring a meals and beverage business that's adding the best growth story in food. And I think it really solidifies our position as one of the most compelling stories in dependable growth driven uh, earnings for the future. And that's I, what, why we're so excited about that.
0: And this frozen angle. I mean, the eggplant parmigiana, the baked ziti. People love this Michelangelo's. This could be a blowout brand.
1: Yeah. So Michelangelo's is really a unique proposition. It is the number one preferred by families. And you just mentioned one of the reasons why it brings differentiated individual and family meals to bear um, in this business. And it is a, a premium product, authentic Italian, and when you combine it with that ultra-distinctive, super-premium Rayos portfolio, it gives you a really formidable frozen presence in the most attractive spot in the freezer case, which is in those added-value meals. Absolutely. Look, Mark, this was just, when I saw it, I said, oh,
0: what a great buy. And, of course, (laughs) everyone in the office, all we do is eat Rayos. I don't know. I mean, it just happens to be the brand because it's premium. And we like premium. Mark Klaus is the president and CEO of Campbell Soup. I can't believe the stock was down. Mark, we're getting a chance to buy your stock very inexpensively.
1: I love that, Jim. All I love right. that. Thank we'll you talk very soon. much for having me today. Thank
0: you, man. Money's back here for the break. Thank
1: you.
2: Coming up, Kramer tries to stir up a winner with this H2O tech play. Just add water. Next.
0: Whenever we hear about the potential winners from all the federal infrastructure spending that's about to come through, people focus on roads and bridges, renewable energy. They almost seem to ignore water. There's $55 billion worth of water infrastructure spending in that billow. And there's plenty of industrial spend on water, as well as utility spend, and yes, sadly, crisis spend. Now, some of the water stocks like Pantera, they've been roaring. Others have been left behind, like Xylem which makes water and wastewater pumps along with treatment and testing equipment. Strange story. Last Wednesday, Xylem reported what I thought was a terrific quarter. A big top and bottom line beat 15% organic growth. Wall Street was only looking for six. And management even raised their full year forecast dramatically. Yet the stock actually sold off hard over the next couple of days. No accounting for what stocks do. So what's in, what's going on here? Let's take a closer look with Patrick Decker. who's the president and CEO of Xylem. To learn more about what's going on, Mr. Decker. Welcome to me, buddy. Thank you so much, Jim. Great to be here. All right. You have what I regard as being the story that most of particularly our younger viewers want, which is a company that knows everything about how to keep water clean, make it clean, because water is a precious commodity. I'm going to give you the four because I think you're doing remarkable things. I think the stock's wrong.
3: Well, thank you for having me, Jim. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, Obviously biased because I I love the story. I love the momentum that our colleagues have uh, going on around the world. Just a little bit about us. We've been around for about 12 years now, uh, and we've come from being largely a pumped company now to treatment, smart metering, AI, machine learning, really helping address three major challenges facing the world. First is scarcity. Uh, And think about the fact that uh, it's expected by 2050 that our natural water supply is going to be outstripped by demand by 2050 by 40 percent. Secondly, climate change resilience of infrastructure, 200 million people are expected to be displaced by 2030 due to natural disasters. Third, how do we help the world address that in a more affordable way using technology, AI, and other Mm -hmm. other, uh, machine learning opportunities? Well, you have very specific examples of cities that have taken you in and the amount
0: of saving they've had. I mean, just a couple of—just made any sin because the amount of money they're saving versus bringing you in is rather extraordinary. And the cities aren't wealthy, but they're doing the right thing. So
3: one of the challenges facing the world right now because of drought is stormwater overflow, flooding of cities when it does rain. Uh, South Bend is one example where they had signed up to an EPA consent decree that was going to cost them about $800 million to go put new infrastructure in place to capture stormwater overflow. We were able to use AI machine learning tools to build a digital twin of their water pipeline footprint and cut that to about 25 percent of what the cost was going to be. That's incredible.
0: Now, you made a tremendous acquisition. Uh, I You know this this evoca. I I thought it was so sensational, and when you were on your conference call, it was even better than I thought. It's but and the synergies are there.
3: So, just explain a bit what this means to you in terms of accelerating your growth. Sure. So, uh, when we look at where Xylem was uh, historically, we were very strong in utilities. Right. So, supporting our utilities, both wastewater, clean water. Mm -hmm. Uh, And steady as she goes. Yes. When you look at the other 50% of spending going on in the world, what we're really excited about is businesses now better understand the importance of when they operate in water-stressed environments, they need to have access to water. So outsourcing their water management services to recycling, uh, water reuse is something that Avoqua has a really strong leading position in. And this really augments our ability to expand our presence around the entire water cycle. Now, one of the things
0: that we've talked about endlessly on the show is, unfortunately, is the forever chemicals, PFAS. I know the government's very concerned about it. Uh, we We had a company that does waste remediation. They don't touch it. It looks like there's really only one company that deals with PFAS directly. That's you.
3: Yeah, and we are still in the early stages, but we've got good solutions right now. The challenge is being faced is being able to break down the forever chemicals on site and not have to transport them right. across state lines. Right. So we're encouraged by the EPA legislation, which we expect to get through Congress by the end of this year. Uh, I've said before that we don't think it's going to be a light switch that turns on. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it'll be a dimmer switch because it really will come down to how long it takes the states to be able to adopt that new legislation. We think that money really begins to flow in 2024 and beyond. It's a big tailwind. Uh, again, $55 million or billion dollars built into legislation. Right. And we are very uniquely positioned to capture that.
0: Well, for the younger people who are listening, and they're saying, well, uh, you gave the story by 2050. I think they're thinking we're going to lose. I think they're going to think that the planet isn't going to make it. Any reassurance
3: you can give people? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought it up, Jim, because one of our big focus areas right now is to create a movement amongst youth around the world. Among youth. Yes. To make sure they understand that that while the challenges are very immense, the technologies exist already today to address these issues in ways that are actually cost neutral or cost negative. In other words, they can have positive return for the planet. So when we hear a $20 trillion price tag required to address water infrastructure around the world, we don't believe that number because we've seen real examples of how adoption of technology can bring that cost down. And that's really why we've moved from being purely an equipment company to much more of a digitally enabled company.
0: Well, I mean, if, if someone, a younger person is watching and wants to help the planet, it's great. Look, there's so many great charities. There's so many different initiatives. But it's going to come from
3: companies like you. It's going to come from companies that are bringing technology to the field. And it's not just about the data or the AI and machine learning. It's the actual products that we make are energy efficient. They're affordable. They make a real impact around the world because this is not just an issue in the U.S. It's a global issue. Right.
0: Well, look, I... You know, I'm mystified. I've mentioned before about the stock price because I think you're in the sweet spot. I know Pentair, good company, but I think you guys are growing faster, doing better things. Uh, maybe the acquisition, people don't understand it yet. Get their arms around it. You sure did very quickly. So I want to thank Patrick Decker, President and CEO of Xylem. That's X Y L E M. It's a Latin word. It's it's not Latin for money, but I like to think it's money's back after the break.
2: Coming up, Case of the Mondays. Power up with an energy play north of the border when we return.
0: Now that we know the economy is actually pretty robust, maybe it's worth circling back to some of the cyclical sectors that have lagged so far this year because of recession fears. I'm talking about energy. Take Enbridge, the Canadian oil and gas pipeline and gas utility, renewable energy kicker, not bad, million homes, and a monster 7% plus dividend yield. We're going to focus on that. Of course, the stock's been in a house of pain since oil and gas prices peaked last summer, but those fossil fuels have recovered substantially from the lows. Meanwhile, last Friday, Enbridge reported a terrific quarter. Really much better than expected. Stock finished the day more or less flat. What's going on here? Let's check in with Greg Ebel. He is the president and CEO of Enbridge to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Ebel, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Great, Jim. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. I got to tell you, here's a company, your company. It transports 30 percent of our crude oil. It's 20 percent of our natural gas in the United States. I mean, you're a Canadian, but you do these and your yield is so out of whack. And that's, of course, because the stock's low. What can you do to help shareholders? Because, boy, are you ever hitting the ball out of the park? And people don't seem to understand that.
4: Well I think the cream comes to the top you know over time I think if you look at it since I last chatted with you and our investor day. We've had a great first half ahead of consensus, great second quarter ahead of consensus. We've, uh, you know, our balance sheet's stronger than it's been. It's at the low end of that range. We've uh, continued to do a billion dollars in accretive tuck-ins. We've had a mainline uh, settlement on our key customer, our key pipeline on the liquid side. That's a third of our earnings, and uh, it's in great shape add to that organic growth just in the last quarter we added another $1 billion dollars or so to our backlog bringing that to nineteen billion dollars bought back some stock, continue to pay that dividend that you talk about. And I think uh, over time, you're going to see that yield come down as people see the real advantage of somebody who's playing in all elements of the energy sector from whether it's uh, the liquid side, the gas side, the renewable side and distribution, very utility to, like paying a great dividend. So right. and a growing one. So, right. so let's say I went to the Gulf
0: for the second half. Let's say I went to the goal, and I went to see, do they have large carriers of oil? Is there a way to be able to get the very large crude to other areas? That's you. Yeah. You know, that's a real
4: Swiss Army knife down there, Jim. You know, the Ingleside Terminal, which moves uh, 25% or so, of the oil that's exported from this company country every day. We hit records again this quarter. That's coming out of the Permian. Our pipelines that came from the Permian, we picked up a bigger piece of those in the last six months. They hit records for the quarter. So really a great setup to provide uh, continued growth in the Permian, serve our customers, and serve our investors at the same period of time. Right, no, We're also building things. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, just great uh, ammonia projects.
0: I, I wanted to ask you about ammonia. A lot of people don't understand this Yara deal is very important. They think ammonia, they think, well, listen, that's something that people use to clean their houses. Totally wrong. Ammonia is hugely important. Explain why it's so important.
4: Well, you know, it's a critical transition fuel, if you will, and it's part of that new energy uh, technology. It can be used uh, for fueling. Obviously, a critical component in the uh, in the fertilizer business, as you as you know, I'm the chairman of Mosaic as well, so I can assure people ammonia is closely connected to that industry. Obviously, critical from a natural gas perspective. North America has great natural gas reserves, but you got to be able to export it. So our setup with Yara really allows that opportunity. That'll be blue ammonia. It leads to really connected investments in carbon capture and sequestration, of course, using our export facility and our gas pipelines. So really a great setup there, Jim. And I I think uh, investors should take advantage of it through a company like Enrich. Totally
0: agree. Now, a lot of companies have failed when it comes to offshore wind. How come you guys have been so successful?
4: Well, we've been at it a long time. You know, most people, as you pointed out, think of us as a pipeline company. We've been in the renewable business for 20 years. And so, uh, you know, we're in five countries on renewables. Canada, the United States, Germany, France, the U.K., and with some really great partners, whether it's the Canada Pension Plan or EDF. And we've really done a great job of building it out and getting uh, to the right spot. You know, when renewables are offshore are hot, we're onshore. When offshore uh, turns down a little bit, that's when we're investing there. And it's really created this great development and operating opportunity for us and a great offset to the rest of our business. So, again, you want to be in all of these energy sources because one thing we can, I hope, all agree on, energy demand is not going down. It's going up around the world. And you want to be in North America. You want to build through it and out of it. And that's what we're doing every day at Enbridge.
0: Look, I know that people just want, there are a lot of people who just say fossil fuels. I don't want anything to do with them. But... The truth is, is that natural gas is the best bridge fuel. You are the natural gas company. I mean, explain to people that this is not just a golf story. It's not just a can story. You know, it, it, it's an Appalachian story, too. You're pretty much everywhere.
4: Yeah, you know, frankly, in your neck of the woods, Jim, and you know, I, as I like to always say it, the folks in the Northeast of the United States pay some of the most expensive prices for natural gas. There's only one reason for that. They need more infrastructure. Now, we deliver right into uh, Manhattan and we deliver into Boston and throughout the Northeast, but more infrastructure is needed. You can't have renewables without uh, natural gas. As you know, it's intermittent, and it, gas is a fail safe protector for that. So if you've got all these parts of the uh, infrastructure uh, value chain, you can create a lot of value. And that's what we see continuing to attract a premium the valuation for us. So pretty exciting times on all fronts.
0: All right. So we've covered the gamut of renewables, of natural gas, of ammonia, oil. But I think the most important thing for our viewers is on page 10 of your deck, industry leading cash flows. You have utility like cash flows. The utilities that we that we like in America, they yield four percent. But you have the same kind of cash flow. This may be the opportunity for someone to pick up seven percent and do quite well because of your growth.
4: Yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty incredible situation, 4 to 6% growth. And we've made it more utility-like in the first half of the year. So, again, our mainline oil pipeline, we've set a cap and a collar of 11% ROE and 14.5% ROE with our customers. That incents us to ship more. That incents them to uh, ship more and use our lower toll and uh, create that utility-type setup. And that's the key to continue building uh, dividends. And we've been doing that for almost three decades at Enbridge. Very few others on the continent can say they've done that from a public company perspective. And we're proud of that. And we're going to continue doing it. And I'm
0: proud. For 18 years, we've been recommending your stock. And people have just made a lot of money with that dividend, reinvested. It's the right thing to do. Greg Ebel is the CEO of Enbridge. I love having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Man money's
2: back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round next
0: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad throw the light round Come on, everybody. We'll start with Mitchell in Texas. Mitchell!
3: Jimmy, I love hearing this voice over
1: my phone, man. This is awesome. You be the man, what's happening? <laughs> nothing much, baby, nothing much. Hey, I'm looking at a REIT that hopefully does not have all the same problems with uh, corporate America right now. We're not dealing in that space. We're dealing in the casino space. What do we think about beachy properties? Hey,
0: Don Canyon Ranch, too. Don't forget that I am bullish on that five percent dealer. I think it's a terrific situation. Let's go to Rick in Illinois, Rick. yeah Jim. Booyah. Good to be on your show. Good to have you. DraftKings, is it a buyer's sell? Okay, so DraftKings, I thought, should have been up today. Got another recommendation. The stock has been on fire, up 177%. But Jason Robbins is delivering. You want to be in it before bye football bye. season, I'll tell you that much. Matthew in Tennessee. Matthew. Big Tennessee booyah to you, Jim. What's going on? Hey, uh, I was looking into uh, New York Community Bank. As yeah, they've possible. actually changed their they changed their whole way of doing business and they changed it in a positive way. And even though the stock
2: is up very big,
0: I like it here. Let's go to George in Pennsylvania.
2: George. yeah, Jim. Booyah. Calling about the uh, energy sector in general, but specifically a stock you've mentioned and did like. Uh, what are your thoughts
0: about Enphase? I've liked it and I've been wrong. I have liked it for a long time. It's Uh, It turned out to be more of a financing play, less of a solar play. But I got to own the fact that I felt in the 190s that it was good and I got it wrong. I thought that it should have bounced by now and it hasn't. I would say in the old days, I'm not the call. Ah. Let's go to Ernie in Washington. Ernie. Hey, Jim. Ernie. I've got a question. Sure. My sister and I inherited 2,000 shares of GE stock after... Whatever it did. And uh, we're wanting to know what the best thing to do. Just liquidate it.
2: Doesn't do the I want you to
0: stick with it. Um, I think it's just sensational. Larry Culp has done an amazing job. Look at this. This thing is just unbelievable. Up 75% for the year. I say congratulations <laughs> to Larry Culp for a fantastic job. Let's go to Wandy in Pennsylvania. Hopefully, Eastern Pennsylvania, not Steeler Country. Wandy.
3: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a long-time watcher and listener. This is my Thank first you. time calling. All right. Jim, I've been looking to add an airline stock to my personal portfolio. With a possible merger happening, I'm looking at ticker JBLU. What do you think about No, Jeff I want Luke?
0: you to stay away. They missed the quarter. I really don't want you to buy that stock. I don't like that company. I like the company's planes. Let's go to Don in Texas. Don. Yeah. Hey, Don. How are you? I'm okay, how are you? Good, good. What's happening? I just wanted to call and ask about Arch Aviation. No, money loser. We like money makers, not money losers. It just happens to be my predilection. I am so into making money, not losing money. I don't know. Probably should give me a TV show. Let's go to Dan in New Jersey. Dan! Oh, hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I was wondering if you can give me your advice on DOCN, Digital Ocean. You know, that stock got crushed last week, and I don't understand why. I cannot give you an analysis until I find out exactly what the heck happened. I happened to be in the garden with the blight on three of my tomato plants, and I didn't get the digital ocean. Duly noted, I'll come back with a better answer. Let's go to Jim in Oklahoma. Jim.
2: Jim, big booyah from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, my God, I love Tulsa. The gathering place, the number one rated Park in the United States, three hundred and sixty million dollars. But my question is, uh, with hundreds of people that follow you that uh, enjoy everything you ask, I bought Kava not at the IPO,
0: but at forty dollars when it opened. I think Kava is a really good stock. Now I do like Chipotle more than I like Kava. I, I also like the food more too. But that's okay because a lot of people think. Look, Kava is loved. Okay, and I think the stock can go to sixty. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade. Coming up, mergers and acrimony? Kramer has a strong take on the FTC. Stay tuned.
0: <laughs> the last couple of years, I've tried to give Linda Kahn. She's the chair of the FTC, the benefit of the doubt, even if she seemed hellbent on blocking every merger that crossed her desk. I tried to see things from her perspective. I always thought her approach to antitrust regulation was way too aggressive, but I took her seriously because she's a very serious thinker about wealth and poverty in this country. Now, though, I gotta tell you, I'm done. There's no excuse in the way this FTC is now being run. It's time for me to con Co. She's cowed business in this country by behaving as though there's no such thing as a positive merger or even positive big business behavior. Normally, the FTC blocks some deals being anti-competitive. I like that. But lets others through as long as they're not anti-competitive. But Kant seems to believe mergers by their very nature are anti-competitive, anti-working class, and pro-rich people. When you read this piece she wrote for the Harvard Law and Policy Review back in 2017, it was called Market Power and Inequality, The Antitrust Revolution and Its Discontents. It's clear that Khan lives in a different reality than most of us in this country. As she sees it, the U.S. economy is almost entirely dominated by monopolies and oligopolies, big businesses that have way too much market power and use that power to rob both consumers and smaller businesses. Reading this, you'd almost think there's almost no competition at all in the U.S. economy. Hard to tell whether her diagnosis is undergraduate-level Marxism or just pure paranoia about a kleptocracy, that, quite frankly, I don't think exists here. Either way, I think it's untethered from reality. Aside from a few awful industries like the airlines, I see lots of healthy competition out there, which is why it's so insane that Khan's FTC is dead set on blocking every merger it can convince a judge to stop. She's going after plenty of deals that are really of no economic consequence, like Microsoft's takeover of Activism Blizzard, where a federal judge smacked the FTC down as if it were some sort of WWE wrestler, unworthy of consideration. There's so many other video game publishers that it was just a huge waste of the government's time. She tried to bring a case against tiny Facebook acquisition in the metaverse space a few years ago. Similar results. She's long-headed in for Amazon for having too much coercive power, even though Amazon's done more than any other company I know to bring down prices and save the consumer money. But at least Amazon's a huge enterprise with enormous influence in the economy, and you could say the same thing about Microsoft. All these cases I think are totally long-headed, it's not the end of the world if trillion-dollar companies are held to a higher antitrust standard. But at a certain point, a government agency trying to block almost all mergers becomes a massive problem for the economy. And I'm talking both the business side and the consumer side. We've got a very efficient form of capitalism in this country, and it starts to break down if companies can't sell themselves to other companies. Case in point, the FTC is bending over backwards to stop Amgen's acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics, not because the deal will be bad for consumers. Even she doesn't try to make that argument, but because Amgen could theoretically use its increased market power to bully insurance companies and pharmacy benefit managers into paying more for Horizon's drugs. Of course, the FTC has zero evidence that this is Amgen's strategy. The whole thing seems ridiculous to me. Since when did Democratic officials like PPMs? So what do we lose when something like the Amgen-Horizon deal gets delayed? Okay, Horizon's a relatively small biopharma play, which means they don't have enough money to fully promote their two major drugs. One blocks a thyroid problem that causes bulging eyes, the other treats a particular kind of gout. Now, look, I know from my work with the American Migraine Foundation that some companies simply don't have the resources to make doctors aware of their great drugs. For example, we've gotten some great migraine drugs in recent years, yet the majority of migraine sufferers have never heard of them. It takes a lot to promote awareness, to promote a new medication. Horizon needs a big biotech outfit like Amgen to spread its gospel, something that can't happen if they don't merge. At the same time, the deal would also bankroll new drug research from Horizon. Drug trials cost tens of millions of dollars that Amgen has that Horizon doesn't. If Con stops this merger, she'll be denying patients the chance to even hear about these drugs. It's frustrating for me beyond belief, but she acts like every industry is run by greedy, fat cat monopolists, and every merger makes them more powerful. I think Khan's had her chance. I suspect she'll lose most of her cases now that she appears to be an ideologue who hates big business. I think it's time for her to move on before her stamp deserts her, which they might actually do because the FTC is causing real damage to his economy, and they actually know the law and the doctors that she's running roughshod over. It must be crushing them. I smell rebellion if she doesn't move on soon. She's had her shot. I think it's time for a more reasonable person to run a once great agency. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it right here for you on May of I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.